You are listening to Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast with Diogo Custodio. If this is your first time listening, then thanks so much for coming. Get ready and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. My name is Diogo, and you are listening to Believe, Strive, Achieve, Endurance Podcast. In today's episode, we are recovering the coaches on the couch where coach Philip spoke about pregnancy at endurance athletes. This was recorded on the last 24th of November. I hope you guys enjoy it. Have fun. Right. So we are live um, today on Coaches on the Couch, and I'm absolutely delighted uh, to be having a conversation around pregnancy in endurance uh, sport and endurance athletes. Um, we've got a fantastic panel uh, this evening, um, and I'll go introduce you to them in a second or two. But first of all, um, I'm really happy about having this conversation because I feel it's one which isn't really had, especially amongst endurance athletes and certainly not amongst uh, coaches either. Uh, and so there's a lot to learn from probably all areas, and you don't really start learning it until you go through it properly uh, yourself. So hopefully today um, the session will help empower um, and inform uh, pregnant athletes or athletes who may be thinking about uh, what happens when, um, when I decide to go and have children or start a family. We also want to try and uh, clarify and uh, dispel or kind of help um, avoid some misunderstandings or myths around uh, pregnancy and sport, because having gone through some of the literature more recently and in more depth recently, um, there's definitely some interesting things out there, which are uh, definitely worth knowing if you're an endurance athlete or keen uh, keen person around there. So I'd like to introduce the group on panel on for this evening's session. Uh, got Susie Cheatham, who is an age group runner turned professional triathlete. Um, you're the course record holder technically for two years in a row for Ironman Hamburg, um, and you're also a frequent contender on Eliki Drive with uh, places at the World Championships. They're going up to about sixth place um, for a couple of years in a row, I think. Um, both. Susie and her husband Rob are also coaches themselves and you're expecting imminently I think um, you've just gone full term so um, yeah hope, hopefully, hopefully it's not too much longer later. <laughs> absolutely thank you Susie uh, we've also got Angela Jameson who runs Physically Fit UK uh, Angela's probably very much overqualified uh, to be here. After a degree in sports science, she turned her hand as a physical trainer and Pilates instructor, where she's also a leading expert on pre and postnatal Pilates, health and well-being. Um, her brother-in-law is uh, ex-professional triathlete, Joel Jameson, and so you really understand the sport of triathlon as well. So uh, thank you very much to Angela for joining us this evening. And then finally, we have uh, Emma Hatsis, who's a top age group uh, triathlete and uh, was fastest, the fastest age group at Staffordshire 70.3 and then moved on to Ironman UK in 2019, where she was the overall winner of the women's category. Uh, you completed your first Ironman World Championship in the same year. Um, you've been dragged onto the chat as, of course, you also have the pleasure of being my wife. Um, so we're expecting in early January, which is one of the main motivations, I guess, behind uh, trying to get more information out there for uh, female athletes. So I guess um, to begin with, I want to sort of say, why, why do you need to have a conversation? And for me, the real, um, the real bit was when um, Susie's uh, Instagram post was declaring that she was expecting and looking forward to it. It was something on the lines of, to all the incredible athlete super mums proving it's possible to be a professional athlete and mum, this better be as easy as you'll make it look on Instagram. So I guess let's start off with Susie and just to say, first of all, why do you feel that that was sort of, there was that disconnect between the two and, and, uh, and I guess has, has anything changed? Why do we need this conversation? Um, I think, um, do you mean the disconnect between, um, between how easy it looks and what actually the reality. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think um, it just comes back to the problem with social media in general is that obviously it's the pretty side of life. Um, and I think um, potentially, obviously this is, this is new, new territory to me, potentially I think it might be a little bit tougher than it looks from, from some of the pretty pictures on Instagram. Um, I'm yet to find out, um, but um, at the same time, I think it's within triathlon, certainly, it's been 
quite an interesting couple of years from the perspective of pregnancy in triathlon because we've had so many professional triathletes that have had babies and come back strong if not stronger in some instances and um I think what I meant by that was that you know like there are you know more than a handful of of pro women that have come back really strong and that that you know for me that was a um was something that I considered because for me I don't feel like I've I've seen out my career it wasn't something that I wanted it it wasn't something that I would have potentially done without the reassurance from other women in the same industry that it is a possible thing to come back and be strong post birth um and they sort of laid that ground for me um and then COVID came along and I was pretty sure we weren't going to be racing for the year and then the sort of I think effectively those two factors came together and that's why I'm now 37 weeks pregnant. <laughs> Excellent. And I guess also with that change in the industry, we had the, uh, the PTO announcing um, maternity leave for, for triathlon as well. So the whole industry itself is actually progressing as well. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's awesome news. Um, I think I've probably missed it, but in any case, we're um, Rob my husband is actually going to take my maternity leave um, with shared parental leave. Um, so I, I don't think I'd be able to be eligible for that anyway. Um, but it's a great move forward for, um, for triathlon. Um, mainly, like, I, I, I really think, looking back on it, I really would have struggled to, you know, tell sponsors and and take it take a year off if it hadn't have been for the fact that there's no racing um so it's nice that it's becoming a more acceptable route for women to take yeah i do you know what's interesting with you saying that about the, the about obviously people who did it for a profession and profession is that um in many ways when you see across the age group um anyway it's almost i mean there are so many inspirational age group women who come back um, after pregnancy or you know women racing at a very high you know high yeah. age or and podiuming who have got um, any number of children so it's quite interesting that, that the difference I suppose um, but without a doubt I mean I'm sure all women um, pregnant or not you know if you're into the sport you, you use you guys as role models um, so it's I think it is really positive to see um, so many well, well women feeling that, that they can take that time out um, yeah and then go back to it and as you say come back so strong um and also just talking about it more i think is really refreshing yeah um, yeah especially when it's done honestly yeah if i could yeah. just look in there uh, uh guys um you know you're absolutely right and i think um you know instagram does show that everything's easy and everything looks lovely and and how you perceive yourself on the other side pregnant and how you're going to race or how you're going to be as an athlete and how you're going to get back is obviously very in your head um, but that might change you know you might have a completely different heart you might decide oh gosh I really don't want to do this actually I just want to be with my baby all the time or you might think thank goodness I can get out there and escape and just get back training again so again that's another thing you know how you feel now might be very different emotionally and physically uh, not really physically as much you'll be different anyway but um, you know emotionally and mentally on the other side also kind of have a big factor which often isn't played or talked about um, and I think you know uh, going on to the other side you either have that drive to do that or you'll get to the other side and think mm, no I don't want to but again equally it, it's just a it's your own kind of way forward it's rather than a judgment yeah I think so I, I was working with one athlete before who's pregnant and the, the kind of conversation we had around was actually to try and get it to the point where it was her choice if she wanted to go back into the sport um, seriously again. But it was a choice that she could make rather than something that she's forced into not being able to because mm -hmm. um, she didn't know how she was going to deal and how she, she'd want to, uh, which direction she'd want to go in after. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, Emma, that you talk about um, age group women having babies and coming back to a really strong level. But it's, it's funny because it's sort of not 
you know, I, I haven't seen that as much because I don't know as many, I came into the sport as a runner and I don't know as many age group women. So I don't really know that many people that aren't pros that haven't come back, but it's, it's interesting because I almost wonder if somebody that's an age grouper that's very much used to working alongside training for triathlon and is probably used to juggling a few more balls. Like, I mean, I'd say in general, pro athletes train more, but then they also have more recovery time. Like the, the extent to which a pro athlete has to adapt is possibly more of a shock to an, to a pro than an age grouper because you're all amazing at juggling work and triathlon anyway. So it's sort of um, from the pro athletes that I've spoken to, the 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 change is often you just don't have as much dead time, which I will quite happily admit I've got that dead time, and that is what makes the luxury of being a pro, a, I suppose a proper pro triathlete is that you've got that dead time and then it's sort of I think I'm expecting it to be whittled away by this screaming devil child <laughs> is it maybe good looking back at your tweet as uh, to your uh, Instagram post then maybe it's more conversation around how the professionals could use the age group as, in, as in yeah absolutely. the other way around yeah absolutely um I mean I I raced um as a professor I didn't really understand the whole triathlon system I didn't really know realize that you could you know be a really like Emma like a really high level athlete and still compete at an age group level so I because I had run sort of um in in running you don't really have an age group system it's like you do GB juniors and then you step up to seniors and it's like I just assumed that you either you were either sort of elite or not and when I did my first triathlon it was like oh well I just entered as an age group but then I didn't get prize money so I thought you know it was like you just had to turn pro so I turned pro after that but I didn't realize there was this whole system of age group and stuff but so I ended up working alongside pro triathlon for about four years before I called then I qualified for Kona and then I went pro so I had I did I did have that period where I was doing the whole 4am wake up and train go to work come back train then one week's completely wiped out because you're traveling um and it's hard like I take my hat off to any age group for having done that um for for four or so years it's, it's quite an it's quite incredible the level that so many age group triathletes get to while working alongside training. So I think one means we're just going to be absolutely pros at the whole like sleep deprivation. Phil <laughs> 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 and I are both quite keen on an early start so we've been told okay. by our friends that we'll be fine in that area but <laughs> we also like a very early night so that might be ruined. <laughs> have you been um have you been have you been sleeping well or have you um um I've so I I used to be a sort of um eight to ten hours like sleep like the dead type person yeah. so I'd say I'm not sleeping well for me but I'm still yeah. probably getting eight hours of broken sleep a night yeah, okay. just waking up a bit more but I haven't really had the insomnia that some people say they get yeah okay but I feel like I'm not sleeping very well because there's a lot of tossing and turning yeah I, yeah it's interesting yeah How's your sleep been? I, I'm the opposite. So I used to be like a complete insomniac, like through like pro triathlon, like everything. Like I've always struggled sleeping, like to the extent where sometimes when Rob was working away and he'd leave at five o'clock in the morning, I hadn't got to sleep yet. And somehow since I've been pregnant, I'm sleeping like the dead. Like it's so <laughs> bizarre. And um, I just... I can't get enough sleep. It's amazing. It's, so I'm like, I needed this when I was racing and I needed the recovery time and stuff, but I've, ne I've really struggled to sleep my whole life. And then for the first time in my life, I've been able to sleep, which is ridiculous because then in a couple of weeks time, I'm going to be up all night. And now, I, now I'm suddenly trained to be able to sleep. Now is actually the time where I'd want to be training to be sleep deprived. So I've done it the wrong way around. 
at least you got the base there, I suppose. Yeah. So I, I guess a, a kind of a question, really. Um, there's a couple of questions, and I see Nikki Bartlett's asked a, a very good question, which we can come back to towards the end. Nikki, don't worry, we'll ask that one. Um, but um, just a kind of question. There's there's lots of advice out there. Um, I would be really interested, Angela, to sort of see what the common advice, uh, I guess, myths or things that you've heard from athletes, and then you've had to try and, or, or even just it doesn't have to be um, athletes to the same sort of standard as Susie or, or MOA group level at all. Just generally what women have kind of come to you, oh, I, I don't think I can do this. Um, what, what do you generally find gets asked? Then you've got to say, well, actually you can. Yeah, that's a difficult one because I think everyone's pregnancy is so different, but obviously there's some guidelines. And I think we have to kind of work within those guidelines, knowing that everyone's slightly different. Um, in general, when I did a little bit of... Uh, Kind of chats with um, kind of Jody Swallows in the past and a few other kind of other kind of athletes is probably the biggest one is heart rate because obviously if you were to use your heart rate where you're quite a um, high level athlete at like kind of a low level you'd be not really doing anything for yourself uh, training wise so the the heart rate training would be something that I probably wouldn't look at, a, at as a gauge I'd definitely do an RPE kind of scale of kind of torque test like one to 20 um, just as a gauge of how you're feeling and you're working within that somewhat hard to hard level that's perceived for you and that's a really nice way to do because say compared to Susie compared to Emma your levels of training at somewhat hard would be very different to someone else who's a different type of athlete in a different field so I think that's probably the biggest one do I use heart rate or do I use uh, another method of measuring my level of, of high-end um, you know energy and I guess back to to Susie and to Emma sort of are there things that you've been surprised about um, or quite shocked about because I, I imagine you both sort of said okay right um, this is now a big change in my life I want to know about it how can I still carry on doing what I love um, you know what's been the sort of things that the general public or people um, parents, friends, uh, always with the best of intentions, but kind of come to you as a an athlete slash now expectant mother and sort of surprised you or sort of worried you or caused you to self-doubt? Um, I think um, for me, um, it's reactions to, to training during pregnancy are really, really broad reactions um you know I've had anything from um going out running once you're showing has been the most interesting thing um because some people respond to it like massive pats on the back and stop you and are like wow that's amazing congratulations on running congratulations on your pregnancy this is amazing I wish I could have run when I was pregnant or women coming up to you and saying oh that's amazing to see you running I ran right up until x weeks and and that's that I mean in in the future I would like to think that I would be that person now because it made me feel so, so much better um because in other instances I've been tutted at and told I've been told that when I'm running along a friend has said to a friend oh she's pregnant and the other one says oh that's really sad that she's running um and like just <laughs> that probably reflects how slow I'm going because I can hear their whole, <laughs> their whole conversation <laughs> um but it's, it's really interesting the reaction that different people have. And I've just gone with, I, I'm really surprised how um, I've just felt like I know what's right for me. Like, it, I don't know if Emma's the same, but it's like, for me, intensity has been a bit of a problem. I can't work at that higher intensity, um, particularly like threshold type stuff. I can just about do something like microbursts on the bike. Um, but anything for more than a minute at any intensity, I, I really struggle with. Um, and that's been from really early on. Um, but yeah, the, the, the reactions to running are really quite odd and interesting. And some of them, sometimes it makes you feel like a bad mother before you've even 
had the child um which is I think quite sad because you know there's no danger in me running with a baby um you know I stopped running at 36 weeks and because it didn't feel right but before then it was absolutely fine um I've been amazed at how the body sort of tells you what, what is and what isn't right I think it's quite an old-fashioned way of looking at you know pregnancy you know put your feet up don't do anything scrub yeah. the floor and you're on your hands and your knees position which is a great place to put the baby you know those old-fashioned things and um, people aren't keeping up to date with the the kind of current you know guidelines and that it's really a good thing to be exercising and you know they say that but if you stop them and said oh why do you think it's a sad thing I mm. bet you they wouldn't even be able to have an answer it's almost yeah. just like a, a kind of a a thing that people say and I remember through my pregnancies people asking certain things at a certain time and it was almost like you maybe you guys have had that so at 13 weeks oh you're going to find out what it is and then at 20 weeks oh do you know if it's a boy and a girl it's like these standard things that people just ask and yeah. oh, maybe you guys have different questions because of your triathlon but like oh when are you going to stop running and how long are you going to start running for it's like just a standardized question that people ask without even thinking about what the answer might be or or anything it's just a kind of like a thing that they're asking as if they think that's the thing that I need to ask at this stage yeah yeah no you're right uh, yeah it does seem like you get certain questions at certain times of the pregnancy. And the other one will be like, once you've had the baby and are you going to have another one? And when you <laughs> yeah. Baby, oh was... yeah, that'll, that'll come within about three to six months. <laughs> but, um, I, think, yeah. um, I think Susie, your point about your body just and you just knowing what, what is right and what isn't such a, a key one. Cause I think um, definitely I've been through the full wave of emotions with sort of not knowing really what I can do in training, what I should be doing. Um, I, I, I found that it's the well-meaning unsolicited advice that's got me the most. I've, I've luckily not really experienced anyone um, commenting on me, probably I'm quite rural when I go out running, so I didn't see anyone. But um, it's just all friends, I think, with the best um, will in the world, sort of saying stuff like, oh, I couldn't cycle after this many weeks because I had this sort of pain, or um, I stopped running this weeks because I you know, couldn't do this. And, it, in my head, it sounds like a list of sort of um, negatives and sort of goalposts when you're going to have to stop your activity, yeah. which I found quite hard because I've almost sort of every week, well, not every week, not fearful, in, but as in waiting to think, oh, no, I can't run anymore or yeah. this is going to happen to me. I'm suddenly going to get a massive, um, you know, dose of um, relaxing and that's going to be the end of, you know, this. Yeah. And it's actually that. And I, I wish women could just be a bit... Um, more empowering positive with each other and say actually I, I did manage to do this all the way through yeah. um, not, not to prove a point but just because it is it is really cool what you can continue to do yeah um, and I guess a good example for mine was um, because the pools have been closed Phil and I have been uh, and a group of us uh, before this lockdown were swimming in a open water lake you know in the in, up until November and the amount of comments um, I was getting about, you know, you really shouldn't be doing this, it can't be good for the baby, da da da. But I knew that I wasn't getting too cold where it was becoming a problem. Yeah. Yeah. My limits were well, you know, I, um, all my checkups were going absolutely fine. And yeah. it was just kind of that sort of thing. I felt like, I felt like almost I had to stop doing it because it was almost becoming a problem for everyone else. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure that's what some women do feel. But I think that's yeah. what you're doing. I think as a, I feel as an expectant mother, you just know what 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 you can and can't do. Yeah, I think on that Emma as well is is absolutely spot on. And I think there's obviously the guidelines. So you know if you're exercising and there's bleeding or there's a pain that doesn't that's a that's a new continued pain that doesn't subside. There is um, you know things that just just aren't normal to you. Then they're the kind of times when you need to kind of red flag it, check up with your midwife, your GP. And, and go and get a check. If there isn't much fetal movement after, you know, <clears throat> after five, 10 days, and you normally get regular kicks, excuse me, <clears throat> then, you know, that's the guideline to kind of go and get checked and, 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 you know, get more investigation. But otherwise, I think if you're feeling well, and it's completely mother intuition, and female intuition that you feel fine, you feel safe, you feel happy doing what you're doing, then you just carry on. Mm -hmm.
I think there's a really important point from that though is that you're very self-aware of, your, of how you're feeling and how you're moving and I guess um, one really important point to take is um, endurance athletes are really good at being you know, good at enduring that's sort of in the name of what they do uh, and, and pregnancy isn't the situation where you want to be trying to push the boundary and see what you can do you have to listen and and be quite honest with yourself about how you're feeling and not try and push something for the sake of a training plan or a, yeah yeah that's right phil and i think um on that as well um you know pregnancy is definitely it's a state of well-being it's not a state of illness or sickness and um you can absolutely train and, and feel your best but it's definitely not a point where you are going to try and be um as i think some of you have said in your kind of posts like you're you should have been your fittest at this point last year but now you're pregnant so you're not so it's not that you're training for the iron man this year but you're keeping yourself ticking along for health of baby for health of you there's been some great research out there for keeping yourself really healthy fitness wise and nutrition wise that can actually impact the baby's health when they are then a kind of toddler into adulthood to prevent cardiovascular disease mm. diabetes and all that kind of thing and that's a massive thing for us now as as women if we can help the next generation to have none of those sort of uh, health issues then why not be healthy and, and and eat well so again it's it's kind of just working within that boundary so I guess a, a first myth which we can try and bust would be that the whole kind of concept which you need to put your feet up and relax it's is at the moment it's not not the case um and as long as you're listening to your body and you're very honest with yourself you can continue training um within yourself really um, yeah it's fine and I think to add to that as well it's um it's having the confidence to stop if it's not right um you know like yeah I got out we've been really lucky um that we've I've been able to carry on swimming um the pool's been open for um because I'm based at like one of the centers um the pool's been open for this last lockdown um which has been amazing because I stopped running last week so it's sort of nice to be able to still get in the water um but today I, I I had done a bike in the morning and just for some reason it just didn't feel right in the pool and I got out early which is like in the mind of an endurance athlete that's really weak but to ha you have to have the confidence that you you do have to listen to your body more and not sort of like you say feel you know endure the pain and endure the suffering that you would normally do when you get in the pool and you're tired and you just want to stop in a normal circumstance that you the right thing to be doing would probably be to to put it out of your head and move on whereas when you're pregnant it's not that's not really the way forward and i guess because it's not taken out of your head yeah. maybe you're overthinking certain things as well yeah yeah and it must be incredibly difficult for someone it's your profession so i think to i guess it's you have all of that as well which at least as an age grouper um it's just you against your ego pretty much um whereas um i think it must be very hard when you feel like you've got external sort of pressures all the time when it comes to performance i suppose yeah i think so um i i think personally the pressures that i have on myself are probably from myself, um, I, I'm, I think it's, I found that other professional women that have been through pregnancy have been really supportive. Um, and like, I've had so much advice from various different mums saying, this is how the pregnancy went. This is, you know, from what to expect when the baby comes, what to expect from running, what to expect from biking, what I can do to help bike the birth, just everything. And that's amazing to have that support. And I don't feel any pressure from sort of my peers, if anything, that's been really supportive. And from the start, sponsors have been incredible. I was terrified. Of, I mean, it's ridiculous, really, because there's been no racing and I was pretty sure there was going to be no racing. But for my main sort of my main core sponsors that are the, the core sponsors that mean I can be a professional athlete and pay my mortgage and um, do it for my job. Um, you know, the, the thought of calling them terrified me, even though 
there was no racing going on. So I can't imagine what those phone calls would have been like if there hadn't been racing going on. Um, you know, I think, I think I'll remember picking up the phone to them forever because I was terrified and they've been amazing. Like, you know, really supportive, um, sending baby suits in the post and stuff like that. So um, I feel really fortunate that I haven't had any pressure from them. And, you know, I've just renewed my contracts as well, which is, um, I think shows like a different time to, to maybe five, 10 years ago. Um, yeah, so pressure from the outside for me as a pro triathlete, I think I've been really fortunate with. Um, moving to training again, because I just want to pick up some of the points you guys both have been talking about around uh, cycling and swimming. And obviously, I know you're not swimming at the moment, but you want to do. They didn't join me in the, the River Thames the other weekend, so uh, oh, obviously God, not wanting it that much. So um, it was it was crazy. <laughs> cold. Um, yeah. Uh, I guess, first of all, to, uh, to Angela, what kind of adaptions can you do to continue, let's just say functional movement and then move into more training? Because I know with Emma, um, you do Pilates work with her and one of the big changes there is the confidence that she can still use her body and it's not just, you can't do this, you can't mm. be on your back or anything. So what, what's the sort of things that you can do to adapt to the functional movement first and then for training? Oh gosh, that's a big question. <laughs> and I think, yeah, I mean, I think, as a probably pro triathlete, Susie, you probably get a lot more time to do more of the functional training, your weight training, whereas, you know, seeing kind of being a little bit dipped into it with people that work um, and do it um, just on the side, they're trying to fit in all that. So they're probably less likely to put in the functional training, the weight training, the strength training, the stretching. So I think as things start to adapt with um, where you feel like you want to not run as much, then you can obviously put in your functional training. And as I said, like, you know, Pilates is fantastic. You can use a lot of the resistance bands, which kind of mimics that kind of band training that you would do for swimming. Um, all the kind of, you know, you and again, with in terms of weights, if you were doing weights before, you can absolutely carry on those weights, but you would probably start to reduce the resistance as you get later on into your pregnancy. Um, if you're new to the weights and you haven't done them before, then it's always go with caution, get a coach to help you through it and start really light. It's not the time. Pregnancy is never the time to start something brand new and kind of go hell for leather. It's more just continue where you're at, whether you're at a high level or low level and just keep moving. So, yeah, I mean, the Pilates or yoga, if you did, you have to get a kind of specific person who's very uh, adapted to yoga pregnancy because um, there's a lot of moves because of the hold you don't want to hold your breath in a lot of the movements and that's why weight training can be something of concern of holding breath when you're doing the movements. so it's really important to make sure you're exhaling through the movements to stop um, a high blood pressure which obviously can be make you kind of pass out and lots of other kind of things um, that would be dangerous um, so just making sure you're, you're breathing through the movements and yeah I mean all, all of the kind of you know uh, body weight light resistance training with the bands um, are fantastic kind of functional tools to to prep you for motherhood and all the demands but you guys are so active with your movements and I love triathlon with it's got three disciplines it's not like you're just doing the one thing over and over so you're less likely to get kind of any repetitive strain injuries um, generally um, because you're doing those three disciplines not just like you're running or you're just you know, cycling on the, on the bike, um, you're doing, you're doing everything. So yeah. And I think mainly focusing on kind of the anterior tilt, the pelvic tilt that happens. So muscles are changing and lengthening. You're getting weakened through the glutes. So therefore your back might feel a little bit more painful. So looking at things that strengthen the glutes and support the pelvis as it changes. Um, and also, uh, feet biomechanics are obviously very important for running. Um, we get a little bit more pronated and flat footed because of the heavier, the bump, and we kind of tend to put a bit more weight through our feet. So lots of fascial foam rollering or spiky ball releasing with the, with the feet, very helpful to kind of keep functional movement and, uh, kind of ten tension in the, in the tissues and then postnatally as well, getting that back up to a kind of place that you were before, making sure that you've got that kind of arch through the foot um to help you move and to get you back up running and doing the things that you you want to do does that kind of answer your question phil yeah it definitely gives a really good direction of where people can start looking um and thinking about really from a training perspective i guess emma for you how have you uh, had to adapt your training 
I guess all three disciplines plus the US and C uh, side of things. Um, well, I mean, just just initially, I suppose, jumping back to the question uh, to Angela and, and I mean, one of the things I felt like sort of early on as well in pregnancy, because you, you physically aren't changing much externally, but internally there's a lot going on. Um, you, you, it was more my concerns was as I started to grow, I didn't know how to and your um, stomach gets bigger, but also your abdominals start to separate. That was when I was sort of lost on my confidence in what I could do strength and conditioning wise, because I was so worried about um, causing further not damage, but like forcing things <laughs> to separate when maybe they didn't need to, um, which is why I've loved um, Angela's Pilates class so much because there's so much you can still do around your sort of whole functional core um, and incorporating all the pelvic floor work as well, which I think is just, has always for some bizarre reason, well not bizarre, a natural reason been in the back of my mind because I felt that if I could just keep my core as strong as possible, I could still do all my other three disciplines. Um, if I had that, you know, functional stability there still. Um, and it, like, I mean, you you laugh at me now because I look like a tortoise getting off the sofa um, because I can really feel that separation. But um, I still feel confident that I can do all the other different disciplines because I know that, you know, things are still hanging together because I think I've trained that the functional core. I think if that makes sense. Yeah, I think Emma, with that as well, um, one of the biggest things is, you know, you guys have strong cores anyway, you know, you're very uh, challenged on your body and you work really hard. So in terms of that, it's not whether someone and the diastasis recti, which I think it's really important for me just to touch on if that's helpful for you guys. And maybe if you have any questions on that, Susie, on the postnatal side. Um, but the diastasis recti is the separation of the connective tissue. And that can happen whether you have a really strong six pack or you're someone that doesn't even exercise. It's one of those things that just naturally happens. It's the connective tissue stretching and it's quite natural because of the bump enlarging. And so sometimes when you can train, you can kind of get this doming effect. We don't really want the doming effect to be any more uh, challenged. So if you are doing crunches and things like that, it's definitely a good idea not to do those anymore. And generally most of my exercises and any kind of pregnancy training program you do should be a functional core strengthening exercise that's basically results in no crunches or flexion. So um, we want to try and avoid that as much as possible. Um, so then the diastasis um, on the other side can be separated and you want to check that and you want to check it with your GP or your midwife, someone just to know whether there is a gap. And often the gap will heal before you even realize it. And sometimes the gap may still be there postnatally. And sometimes it's not necessarily about how big the gap is. Some people can be one finger and heal. Some people can be three or four fingers um, and take a lot longer to heal. The most important thing is the strength behind that gap. So if I stick my finger in between kind of the midline, following down from breastbone all the way down to pubic bone, and I press in and I can't feel anything pushing back against my finger, you don't have any functional strength yet. Okay, and that is one of the most important things I think for everyone, every female, that you get that strength and that connection connected right. So pelvic floor function with breath and engaging a sense of strength. So when you're lifting baby or getting them into and out of the cot or into the pram, that you're thinking about that strength because once you've got that, then running is not a problem. But if you run with a weak core, you'll cause pelvic floor issues. You might start leaking and you weren't leaking before. The pressure has to, it's like a kettle the pressure has to go somewhere and if it's not strong enough there it's going to be pushing down with somewhere else yeah does that make sense totally so i guess that moves into a bit about what what, what should be the kind of the, the plan for post um, post birth and, and coming back and i know um for some people especially endurance athletes who um don't like sitting still for a prolonged period of time the idea of sort of the first four to six weeks of doing very very little can be quite daunting um but that is sort of in the guidance and i and i guess um people need to understand why it's in the guide and that's you know, the explanation you've just given there is a really uh, clear way essentially you don't have the core to, <laughs> to be able to do that much in terms of exercise and everything else um one thing which i think is interesting is that the the six weeks might not be six weeks for everybody and it's about that that core coming back together and actually having that functional strength, which is more important than just hitting a time point. Um, but after that, and again, I'll open this up to anybody, didn't have Angela, but Angela's free to carry on. You know, what what would be the process of coming back to uh, to your sport? 
think maybe why don't um, Susie and Emma, because you're just about reaching that point where baby will arrive and you're probably already thinking, how am I going to get back into training and what am I going to be doing? Have you got any questions that kind of follow on from suit that maybe is in your head about how you're going to go forward? Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's like people ask questions and I'm like, I, you know, like, even with birth plans and stuff and it's like, I don't know, you tell me, I've got, no, but um, I, for me, it's been very much like, as with the pregnancy, I take it day by day, um, training in pregnancy, take it day by day, see how I feel and respond to that. Um, I plan on doing the same with um, post birth um, and return to training. Um, I, the one thing I'm very sure about, um, just from hearing horror stories of training, um, is that I will see a women's health physio before I start running. Um, for me, that's like the clearest thing that you can do in order to um, control to a certain extent your return to running. Just, um, just the reassurance that you're not going down a route that is going to cause you long-term problems you know later on because for me I I'm due um fairly early December um early to mid December sorry and um I feel like you know in terms of return to racing I would like to do that quickly but at the same time the impact of returning too quickly is only going to show around sort of August to October next year, which is actually when I want to be at my best. Um, so initially, you know, when I first got pregnant, it was like, oh, I want to be back for Ironman South Africa. That's like my favorite race. But I mean, realistically, it's just not feasible. Um, and since then, I think I haven't I've moved away from putting time scales on it because, you know, we don't know what we're going to get. We don't know if we're going to have an emergency C-section, which changes things. Don't know if we're going to have a, you know, um, as one of my friends says, she sneezed and it just came out. <laughs> um, and then other friends just had the most horrendous birth. So I'm trying not to put too many expectations on it. Um, the one thing I'm just sure about is that I will see a professional because I'm not a professional in that area. I like, I, I can swim, I can run pretty fast, but I'm not a women's health expert. And although I've been quite happy to train listening to my body, I think post-birth it's, it's important to get that expert advice. Yeah, hundred percent Susie. I cannot recommend enough that, you know, you do book in and any woman just, if you're gonna spend the money just spend the money on seeing a woman's physiotherapist. They'll give you a good amount of time, you know, going via the NHS and waiting to see a physiotherapist that way is a delayed way. And you can absolutely do that if you find that you don't have the funds, but if you can, and there's a local person near you, then I would highly recommend it. There's also um, like people that I, the physiotherapists that I work with, they do something called a mummy MOT. And I know there's someone kind of in the bath area and they basically do exactly what they need to do on the tin, basically do a full check on every, yeah. of everything, see where you're at, what you're going to be doing, where you're at, and then it can give you a kind of advice. And then they can also refer you to someone who's like a physical therapist like myself to get you moving in that direction. And then they can recheck you. So it's a great thing to do. Yeah. Um, and then in terms of the kind of, yeah, depending what's happening and how you're going, the first one to six weeks will vary for everybody. Um, so some people after three days will feel fantastic, ready to go for a walk and happy to get moving and push the pram. And if you have a C-section, that's definitely not gonna be something that you could probably do straight away. So I think within the first six weeks, although they say just rest and then have your six week check and then you're all fine. We always say within that first six weeks, there's plenty of things that you can do if you're feeling mentally ready to think about your recovery, which you may well be. So the first thing that we always um, kind of try and get everyone to do is firstly nutrition. You're probably hot on that anyway, but really try and stay away from the sugars, which can inflame the body where you're healing and get into that really good high protein and kind of just 
good, gorgeous, like dark green leafy vegetable kind of foods uh, that make you fuller for longer. Prep some food now, have some really big bowls already kind of frozen that you can just take out the freezer and heat because that, that's always quite useful. You don't have to think about cooking then. Um, the second thing you can think about doing um, alongside that, also if you're breastfeeding, you want to drink a lot of water. We're dehydrated quite a lot, especially during the birth. So it's really important to get your hydration up. And if you're breastfeeding or bottle feeding, I always say whenever you're doing that, just drink a pint of water just to make sure you're getting your fluids. Um, and then the second thing um, we talk about is breathing. You know, when we're pregnant, the baby takes up a lot of space and our diaphragm is shoved up right up into our necks and um, there's a lot of pressure on the pelvic floor. So we want to restore a really good functional breath, which is really important part of our pelvic floor healing and the diastasis recovery. So if you can just start focusing on some nice kind of rib cage belly breathing, rather than thinking that the breath is all about from the neck and shoulders, that's a really nice place to start. And that's very easy and gentle to do. And you can do it in all sorts of different positions. So in the upright position, side lying or on hands and knees when you're kind of changing baby or giving them a kiss and a cuddle or just playing with them on the floor it's a really nice place to kind of focus on the breathing um, and then the third thing we kind of think about is um, abdominal massage and it's one of the biggest things that's kind of a new thing on the block uh, and it's fantastic because we are firstly holding the baby for nine months in a growing position that's changing and stretching our body and then during the labor can be very physical some people have a three-day labor some people have a 20-hour labor it really really varies but whatever happens is very physical so our muscles can hold a lot of tension so doing the abdominal massage can really help release the tightness and for example if you have a diastasis your obliques can be really quite powerfully strong to try and find strength where there isn't any strength in your main core um, and so they can actually pull because they're so tight, they can pull on that midline to make the diastasis not kind of help in its healing. Just by releasing, for example, very kind of very broad sense, releasing the obliques and some surrounding muscles can actually allow that midline to kind of soften and kind of then kind of bed together a little bit and help it heal. So, um, and I've got sort of like a four minute tip on how to do um, a quick massage at home on the other side. So, that, you know, I can always share that with you if you need it. Um, and so abdominal massage. And if you have the um, a C-section, again, massively important, it is a full-on surgery. If you had a knee surgery, would you then go out and just do what you would do? No, you'd have rehab, you'd recover, you'd have good nutrition, you would have physio, you'd have massage on it. So I would really urge any woman who's got that, that they take that as a serious recovery process and, and get, get yourself feeling like that is healed. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and again, a lot of, on healing on that anti-inflammatory nutrition, hydration, massage and moving. And then moving is the last thing. So in the first six weeks, that's something that you can kind of do. All those things are very easy in a way. If you're feeling like mentally up for it, you might not even feel like you've been thinking about it. Um, and then post that, you can start thinking about moving. And anything where you're in an upright position as a very simple way of thinking about it um, for a diastasis, even if you don't know of it, if you've got a diastasis, you can't get to anyone to be checked. If you do anything in an upright position, you're less likely to compromise that, that. So if you think about your stomach like a zip, and if you are to bend over, you're gonna put a lot of pressure on that zip and it's gonna open. If you keep yourself upright, you're less likely to put any pressure on that zipper and it's gonna stay nice and connected and slowly with time it will heal. So I don't know if that's um, a lot to think about or uh, it makes sense but I hope that it does but just to say that within the first one to six weeks you can do things towards a healing of your body without even really having to do exercise as such so then by the time you hit six to twelve weeks you're ready to kind of do the things that you want to do depending on how the delivery goes and how your body really reacts because everybody's different and a question which has just come through here from Lisa Jacob who is actually a high performance hockey player from Ireland if I recognize the right Lisa um, but she was asking, and I guess it's probably going to be a question which a lot of um, a lot of endurance athletes are going to ask as well, is if you go into pregnancy strong, uh, both functioning the core, but also just generally stronger, um, which hopefully you would as, a, as an athlete, um, will that mean you bounce back quicker? Or is there any correlation between the two? Or is it an opportunity just to binge and not worry about it and come out the other side whenever you come out the other side? Oh, that's such a hard one, Lisa. Really good question, though. I have to say, just from my experience of, you know, I don't have so many high-level athletes. Um, I just see a broad number of people that are generally 
you know, fit and, and well and healthy and some people that love to do something and some people that don't is I think it really just depends on you as an individual, your mindset. I think going into a, going in, being pregnant and being very strong and fit as you can for your level, whatever that might be, whether you're, you know, a high level Ironman athlete, or you just enjoy being really fit and doing five, 10 K runs, um, or as a hockey player, you know, just feeling like you can run a pitch, a length of the pitch without dying. You know, I think you, you need to do it for your level. Um, I don't think, and obviously that would help your recovery because you're generally more mindful, but I do have people that have, um, who are really fit and have a terrible labors and therefore it does hinder their recovery a year later. But some people that do absolutely nothing have five deliveries, you know, five children, no problem, whack them out and, you know, they're up and running and there's no, no problems for them. So I think it really depends also how your delivery goes, you know, as Caesar says, you have people that kind of squat baby out and it's no problem. Some people have three-day labors, ends up C-section. Some people, if you have an episiotomy, that can cause a little bit of um, recovery issues. So there's lots of things to consider, but I think going into it as strong as you can for your level can only be a good thing. I guess uh, I've got a question. Yeah, go I've got a question from um, a physiological perspective. Um, I don't know if you know this, Angela, but um, the, in terms of physiology, there's something that's just from reading it's, it's quite apparent is that your blood volume doubles at quite an early stage of pregnancy and which obviously from a professional athlete or competitive athlete's perspective it's like oh wow that's amazing that's like blood doping without blood doping and everyone you know the, the, there's there's talk about the effects of of that on women that are able to come back um, because their bodies have healed, you know, their abs have, uh, aren't causing them problems. Their pelvic health is good enough to be able to run or do X, Y, or Z. Um, but there's nothing I found really from a physiological perspective in terms of coming back and that being, you know, accounted for um in terms of performance yeah good one Susie and actually it was something that I was thinking about earlier so you you do have a 50% increase in blood volume because you're providing the baby with you know blood and oxygen and that sort of thing so absolutely if you can and it and it does drop down I, I don't quote me because I can't remember like what actual stages and perhaps everyone will vary post it can last up to sort of four to six months this kind of high level of oxygenated blood in your body because of the baby um, so if you're feeling good and you're feeling healthy and you can start getting into the training perspective of things without hindering and damaging your body then absolutely you get that kind of blood doping effect and could perhaps this is maybe why all the age group has come back hard and strong perhaps emma um, <laughs> post baby because they've got that extra <laughs> blood volume around their bodies and it's actually giving them a, a favorable chance to to do well there was that um that runner she was an athlete um sprinter who did really well within six I can't remember her name Denise she was a sprinter and anyway she apparently did some pbs post her baby and was definitely within a six month range that she was doing these high level sprints and she was um yeah definitely uh breaking some records so yeah I think because it's, is it is it I mean is it um talk about increases in blood volume but is that blood plasma or is it actually true blood with hemoglobin and red blood cells or is it just is it just a is it just a volume thing or is it actually blood with red blood cells and then effectively oxygen carrying capacity yeah absolutely yeah or the latter um because you're providing baby with with all the good nutrients and things that you need so your body's producing more to 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 supply that that growing baby see the the thoughts whirring there Susie <laughs> it's like right I learned South Africa it's not is the now. first thing on my mind but I think it, I think it's just quite an interesting point and you see um you know um one of my friends um Radka um I don't know if you know her um 
Radka, who's a pro triathlete, mainly does half Ironmans, but like multiple sort of top top five or six at seventy point three world champs. Um, she she's had her first baby and she's actually pregnant again, um, and she actually won a seventy point three eleven weeks after giving birth. And she's one of these amazing people that just look, you know, like she's effort <laughs> this sounds a little not fair to her but almost effortlessly um ripped always just never really seems to look out of shape so almost just seems to me that she's just um incredibly genetically gifted and she just bounced back <laughs> like within within I think a couple of weeks of giving birth it was just one of these exceptional um people that you know it, I, I mean I think actually for her it's quite hard because she it's you almost get slapped down for bouncing back a little bit it's almost more of a something you get compli complimented on is is showing a body that's been through um nine months of of pregnancy and actually you're a little bit soft and squidgy I think you almost get more praise for that than you do for bouncing back because you know, through no fault of her own, she bounced back. And I think people see if she openly talks about that, it's sort of putting pressure on other women, but effectively it's just her, like that's how her body's responded. Um, that's the great thing, Susie. And I think um, you're right. You know, it's almost like, you know, we've been really promoting recently, the last few years, like, look at my post baby bump. It's so beautiful. You don't have to fit into your, you know, we're always wanting to fit into our genes pre pregnancy, Oh, I fit it into my genes within six to 12 weeks of having baby and whatever it is. And I think we just need to take that pressure off. And I think on that front, it's very much our our body type, you know, you've got the ectomorphs, the mesomorphs and the endomorphs, the kind of our body shape, and even non athletic people that I see who are of a very similar sort of build they will have the baby and within a week or two they they are literally back to their normal self and people are like wow what are we doing and it's just again I think very much genetics you know plays a massive part on that and generally how your body is it's not because they're doing anything different and yeah maybe they're the lucky ones but I think yeah we mustn't compare in that respect or we want to be like that but I do think have your own goal you know do you want to you know what you want to achieve and and how you're going to get there but um yeah lucky her and awesome yeah. for her and to do so well you know her body's obviously just really designed for that and why if she's got no issues and you have no issues with you know your body and you're you're training really well and you're not leaking and things like that then that's a that's a great your body's in in great form but i think the i think i really urge any triathlete or professional if they are starting to do things and they're leaking and these that's what we should bring out you know oh i did this too much i don't look picture perfect i've started to leak you know one of the, th the biggest things um we're all trying to do in our profession is to kind of get away from you know leaks are normal and just wear, you know, your pad and just then go for your two hour run. It's going to be fine. But those sort of things are not normal. They will five to 10 years later creep up on you mm. in a different way where we don't want those issues in our lives. So do the right thing now, right early on, and then you'll be fine later. So I'm, I'm conscious of the time, but that's a fantastic uh, point there to start off going around the room and just sort of saying, I guess, both to, well, to everyone, really, what what were... Um, what was different either in a positive or a negative way that you didn't really realize uh, when you were going through or have been going through your pregnancy as a, as a first sort of summary question. Um, Emma, should we start with you? I think I, 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 it kind of linked into what we were saying before about, you know, women will always get commented or judged on, you know, how they look and something like that. But all I'd say is I think the thing that shocked me the most is how much, and it's probably all the hormones in my body, but how um, I've accepted all of the changes really well and mentally felt like I've coped with it extraordinarily well. I think um, if you sort of, people maybe out there who are listening who are considering or trying to get pregnant or think it's going to bump in the road for performance or whatever they do, I mean, you have all these natural worries, but when you're there, I think um, I've actually, I'm not saying I've enjoyed pregnancy per se, but I've really enjoyed how mentally I've adjusted to it and how I seem to be a much more softer and forgiving person on myself 
Um, and I think that's really important because all these changes happen incredibly slowly. And I feel the same about the sort of the postpartum thing. I just know that again, that my body's just working so hard for me and I'm still able to do all the things I love and quite a lot of all the training at the same time. And I've actually just got a lot more respect for myself um, and my body. And I think that's almost my biggest message is, um, yeah, just, I just don't, don't overthink it and just keep doing what you're doing um, and, and listen. And actually it's, a, it's quite a cool experience. Um, and I'm, I'm equally looking forward to the other side and the recovery and what next year will bring as well. Susie, how about you? Um, can you say the original question again? I got so into what Emma was saying that I <laughs> Hanging on every word. Uh, what, what, what have you, um, what would you like to share with people as something which is either positive or negative, it doesn't matter, which is maybe a surprise for oh, you? Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of um, surprises to me, I think um, just, uh, just, um, the, the main thing for me was early on in pregnancy. Like I was, I felt, I was so sick and I hadn't expected to, uh, adjusting to feeling so tired and so sick and not able to like eat the like healthy foods that I'm used to eating. You know, I was making myself like, well actually through the whole pregnancy, I, I haven't felt like eating as healthily as I normally do. And I've been making myself green shakes and stuff like that just because I'm not used to eating so few greens and colors of foods and stuff. Like, you know, it was mainly in the first trimester that I've almost got that nausea back now. So I'm back to sort of making smoothies and stuff with the veggies that I normally eat. Um, but um, th that, that was a big surprise to feel as nauseous and as tired as I did. I just felt a little bit useless. Like how I've always thought, you know, I just felt really lazy. And for me as an athlete to not be able to get off the sofa was a little bit odd. Um, that was a real surprise. And especially as at the time, you know, as Emma pointed to earlier on, you know, you're not, there's, there's not really any changes in your, I was surprised actually how like externally, there's not really many changes to your body for so long that, you know, I kept on waiting for this bump and it's like, you know, you get to way past halfway in your pregnancy before you really see anything and and that's yourself. And then, and then, you know, when you're wearing clothes on top of that, it's sort of like you're pushing towards 30 weeks before anyone would really be able to tell that you're pregnant. But meanwhile, your, your food, your taste of food is completely changed, your smell, your hormones are all over the place. Like, I can't, there's like some moisturizers I've had to ban Rob from wearing because I just can't deal with the smell. <laughs> and that's like, that's like shocked. <laughs> <laughs> completely different things. But when your body's not showing, it feels a bit weird for your whole world to be turned upside down when you don't even look pregnant. Mm -hmm. And um, we've got one question from Nikki, who I said I'd come back to, which, and she wants to have it on record. Who will be hardest to look after, Rob, Jasper, or the new baby? <laughs> Definitely Rob. <laughs> I'm not going to ask Emma the same question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, I guess, I mean, we've come to time now. Is there any other bits of advice that we feel that would be worth sort of raising and you, you feel is missed, if any of you, you three? Um... Yeah, I think if uh, you're, you know, you guys are beautiful, the bumps are amazing. It's such a special time, especially if it's your first, even second and third pregnancy, every time it's different. And if you feel great, do what feels makes you feel great. And if you're concerned or worried about anything, you've got so many resources around you now. You've got so many friends to tell you things. So, you, you know, use all those. And I know lots of people always tell you what you shouldn't, shouldn't do. Just say, thank you very much and move on. And you decide what you feel is right for you. And um, having good guidance by a professional is always good because if someone says something to you, you can always say, well, I'm under this person's guidance and I trust them because they're a professional. You are just saying it from a perspective point of view and that's just what you perceive um, is unsafe or unwell or whatever because maybe they had a terrible time or they're worried so I think just do what makes you feel good and if anything is concerned anything feels out of the ordinary anything just feels wrong and you stop 
use your instincts and get some professional guidance. Excellent. That's a fantastic place to stop there. So I'm going to say thank you very much to everyone. Uh, Susie Cheatham, you can be found on Instagram and also your website as well. And you're giving a very clear and honest, um, I guess, perception of pregnancy and going through that as a professional athlete. So I think thank you very much for uh, your words there. It's definitely been useful for us from a two week heads, heads up of what's happening. But I think there's a lot of people who are following that um, kind of because of the fact that it's very transparent and honest. So thank you very much for that, Susie. Um, and uh, Emma, thank you very much <laughs> for joining us here. I know I strong armed you into doing this, um, but you, I know you do also have, um, I guess, quite a, a, a strong view that um, people's identity as a, as a person shouldn't be then kind of covered over by them becoming a mother and that dictates kind of who they are. And I think you've, uh, you're definitely doing a good job of showing that as well on social media. So if anyone wants to get any more information from either Susie or Emma, you can follow them on social media channels. Um, and then finally, thank you very much to Angela. If anyone wants to get any more information out from you, how can they get hold of you? Yeah, just on Instagram or Facebook or just message you and you can pass on to me if they can't find me. But um, yeah, just at Physically Fit UK on Instagram would be, yeah, happy to help anybody or any concerns or find somebody in a local area to you. I've got lots of other people that do similar things to me in other parts of the country. So I'm really happy to kind of share and spread love and empowerment and, you know, you guys just need to do what you need to do so yeah thank you very much so this will be um on the podcast shortly uh, which we have believe strive and believe strive and achieve endurance podcast uh diogo um so you can listen to it there or, or like or share it here and if you know someone who might find this useful then uh, recommend they uh, they have a listen to this one so some great bits of advice here thank you very much to all of you really appreciate it next time we'll be talking about um motivation beyond the cheesy quotes probably have some different guests next time i won't drag you into that one as well emma i promise uh, but thank you thank you very much for um for coming along and joining us and uh have a great evening and susie all the very best over the next hopefully few days likewise, weeks. To, likewise to you guys yeah good luck just as long as emma doesn't have hers before, uh, before well, is this for turning into a race now, now? <laughs> if, if you guys have yours before mine i will be really upset <laughs> social media ban then Emma if that happens but I'm sure yeah. <laughs> then you get the head start on what's happening and what to expect yeah true then I'll be hitting out. you but up all the baby advice yeah exactly <laughs> thank you very much everybody well, thanks so much thank you bye the Believe Strive Achieve podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment and show notes are found at trytrainingharder.com Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Try Training Harder. Thanks for listening.